Listener Production. Hi, I'm Helen McCabe, founder of Future Women, a club helping women to connect, learn and lead. Over my career, I've run teams inside newspapers, edited a magazine and launched my own business. This has meant building a team from scratch, leading through difficult times and managing the odd crisis. I've never had any leadership training because I thought you were either good at leading or you weren't. I thought being decisive was a key metric for success. I was wrong and it led me to make simple but avoidable mistakes. In this series, I'm doing what I should have done years ago, reaching out to people who I admire, who have also successfully run teams across all types of industries. So I can ask their advice on some of the common leadership challenges. How do you lead a country? And is that any different from leading inside a big organisation? Are there common traits in a great leader of a country and a great leader of a team? Could you make change and convince people to put their trust in you? If so, where do you start? How do you learn to play the political game? And does that game have different rules if you're a female? Jessica Short and Martina Uchnikova are the founders of She Runs. It's a not-for-profit that helps women engage in political careers and civic participation. And they're tasked with not only identifying those traits that make great politicians, but with teaching and fostering them in the women that are entering their programs. Jess and Martina, welcome to the Future Women Leadership Series. Thank you for having us, Helen. Thank you, Helen. I'd love to start with a bit of a sense of what in both your career paths led to where you are now. Jess, maybe I'll come to you first. Yeah, I have a history in um, the labour movement, the trade union movement, and I've been working in that industry for just over 10 years now um, and have been friends with Martina for around the same time. And during that time, just saw a need for something that was outside the political parties, um, to be quite frank, where women could come together, uh, could network and have some pretty honest conversations about what leadership looks like in politics and almost reimagine it in some shape or form, though knowing that there's still so much change that we want to make and we realised that we also have some skills that we want to pass on to other women and see them recognise that in themselves, um, that they, they too are leaders. You know, there's a difference between positional leadership and being a leader in your own life and wanting to make that change. So that's kind of how we made that discovery and why we started She Runs. Martina? We're a little bit of antipodes. Uh, just as being someone who has uh, worked as a campaigner and someone who has been involved in door knocking and volunteering. So she really understands politics from the grassroots um, organization. Uh, while I have worked in advocacy and international relations for the past 10 years, so I'm more interested in uh, bigger organizational and and policy shifts. Uh, so whenever we would have conversations, I would sort of say something to dress from a policy perspective and just would be like, but have you taken on board the views of those that you're trying to serve? So when we came together and started talking about She Runs, it was really a, a symbiosis of these two different perspectives. One was sort of the organizational and grassroots. The other one was more sort of the, the policy and, and 
governmental relations and we try to sort of marry together into what is now she runs. And it strikes me, though, that the, the real challenge, however, is actually getting women to run. We've got such a, a low rate of women in the parliament, although I know uh, Labor has improved those rates substantially. Was that a driver for you? Was just the fact that we, we have such limited representation in the federal parliament, particularly, that I'm thinking about? Yeah, that was a huge driver for us. Um, we, I can speak personally from this, like I've seen uh, incredible women who have all the skills and all of the amazing things they've put in their resume to run and yet get looked over time and time again um, or get put in unwinnable seats. So for us, putting that at the forefront of our campaign school was really important and really necessary and something that we want to highlight and say, we're not okay with this, but how do we change it? So the audience of this podcast are a combination of people that might have some political ambitions, and and it could be to just run the local netball club um, or the run for local government. We actually have quite a few members that are interested in local government. I don't know that I've got a, a vast number of listeners that are really interested in becoming prime minister, but I am interested what your thoughts are about the sorts of skills that you look for in someone who has political ambitions? Or can you almost work with anything? I would say you could almost work with anything, to be honest. I think one of the things that I think Martina and I look for, and we've never, yeah, yeah, one of the things that Martina and I look for is people who who are driven and who have a work ethic and that might not necessarily be in politics. They might not have a history, but it could be in the local footy club, like you said, Helen. It could be volunteering at organisation. It could be at their work. And we want to see people who are passionate. Passionate doesn't pay the bills, but passionate will get you out the door in the morning about something. And also as well, someone who's prepared to listen to the advice of others but also to to listen and to critique that advice because I don't think you should take everyone's advice on, but you need to be teachable in that way. Then there are some other skills that you will need for politics that no one really tells you when they say, you know, you should be the candidate for this seat. Fundraising is a massive one. And also just how to connect with um, local electors as well you know, how to have those interactions, how to make sure that you're taking care of your own mental health as well. Um, They're all things that you can learn along the way. But if you're passionate about what you're doing and you believe in what you're doing, they are probably the two fundamental things that you will need to have a career in politics or to be a leader in, in any arena. How important do you think is the ability to tell a story? I think that's incredibly important, the ability to tell a story, because when you're able to tell your story, it helps you connect with yourself first and with the history that you may have or the present where you are right now, but also to help you to connect with the other person that you're having that conversation with. And I think politics is so much about the art of connection as well. And if you don't connect with people, it makes your job very hard in the future. And we see politicians who probably lack the art of connection, to be honest, but they've got there somehow. But it's really important if you want that longevity and you want people to recognise you and to have that legacy um, as you move on to other things in the future. I talk to a lot of young women who will talk about a lack of confidence um, and that they don't like public speaking or giving presentations. 
There's one federal politician at the moment that comes to mind who's had an incredible career and is incredibly formidable uh, in every field, and that's Maurice Payne, who's the Minister for Foreign Affairs. She is not someone who seems to like being in the media eye. She's not mm. someone who likes to answer questions. She's a backroom person. She mm. likes the quiet life. C- can you really do that today, do you think? Un- unless you're, you know, you, I mean, she's obviously exceptional at what she does and has built a, I'm going to let you answer the question rather than give you the answer. Yeah. But why do you think someone like her has had a successful career? Yeah, and when it comes to the media, <laughs> It is obvious straight away when someone is uncomfortable or when someone is not authentic. Uh, One of the workshops that we run through our campaign school is actually media session and looking at how to answer questions when you have a journalist uh, constantly asking you pesky questions and how to actually authentically um, answer that. And it is a skill. It is a skill that needs to be taught. It is a skill that needs to be um, part of, I would say, even a core curriculum for politicians who want to run one day. It needs to be something that needs to come from the person themselves. So authenticity is something that is very difficult. And and uh, when we sort of look at some of the research, what was actually really interesting is um, that some suggestions were that politicians should be taking improv classes. <laughs> they, should be t- should, they should be taking classes where they tell jokes, um, open mics, where they sort of become a little bit more comfortable with uh, the audiences, where they become a little bit more comfortable with themselves, which, again, as women sometimes... Um, we are constantly told stories about ourselves. And then it's very difficult when we put ourselves out there to often find our voice. So it takes a while. And we and I don't necessarily think it's a it's an end point. It's a constant um search for finding our voice and fine-tuning it and making sure that um, we're telling the stories that we feel comfortable with and that transcendence into politics as well. When you think about political leaders who are really good at what they do, female political leaders are really good. I mean, I think of Gladys Berejiklian, who I think did authenticity incredibly well, Julia Gillard, who owned the federal parliament. She was an orator. She had presence. Penny Wong, who does credibility, and Julie Bishop, who did glamour and communication. What do you think those women had in common? Is If, if anything, what did they have in common that made them such standouts. I think the thing that ties all those women together is their incredible drive and work ethic. When you look at what they've done from their early 20s or even from university days to where they are now, they are women who were hungry to make change and and knew what they wanted in life. I don't know if they would say that, but that's what I see from the outside, like women who knew what they're about and what they stood for. And it's it's really powerful to have so many those amazing leaders as people that we look up to mm. and that we were watching as well growing up and continue continue growing up and seeing them take on different trajectories in their career, their own careers. But I would say that's the thing that ties them all together. Absolutely. And I also think to, to what Jess said um, is also bringing the community along in their own right. I think that mm. all of these... Um, leaders that you mentioned are incredibly community-driven and they're all passionate about completely different issues, but they're doing something that they're trying to make a difference in. Mm. Um, And 
that is sort of something that you you can sort of see straight away, whether you're talking to Penny Wong or Julie Bishop, they have their own sort of issues that they're passionate about and, and their communities and their constituents that they serve, but they're incredibly passionate about bringing everyone along yeah. the ride. And that was going to be my next question, actually, was persuasion. Because I, if I, I've been spent my whole career around politicians and politics. And if I think deeply and hard about what I would look like as a politician, the thing that stops me, and there's a few things that stop me, but one of the things that really fascinates me is the the leader who can bring people on board that has that persuasive power, not just to get pre-selected, not just to win an argument inside the shadow ministry or the ministry, but someone who can bring an entire constituency on board. And if you think about great leaders, John Howard was extraordinary at doing that, whether it be guns or GST. Paul Keating was amazing at doing it when he tore down a GST and introduced one. Who introduced the GST? I think it was John Howard. It in was the end, John. Wasn't it? Yeah, it was yeah. John Howard. So he did. So Paul Keating just tore it down. He, yeah. he, he, <laughs> he built it up and then he tore it down. But, and similarly with, with Bob Hawke, of course. Do you, what do you do when you have a raw candidate? She's passionate. She's hardworking. She's a storyteller. She's got that X factor um, in terms of teaching that next level of persuasion? Really, really passionate about uh, connecting them with those who excel in that particular mm. area. So once we look at some of the candidates that, goes through, get, that go through campaign school, if they come to us and say, hey, I'm really passionate about uh, joining a political party, I'm just not really sure how I'm going to be able to bring people along. So we'll go through sort of a little black book and look at either the politicians or political staffers from those parties and try to connect the the woman that uh, is in our program with that particular person to really give them that one-on-one mentoring because we feel that, you know, that person's way more suitable to provide any type of advice than us and really ensure that they hear firsthand from someone who's been successful in that particular area, how to get better. Yeah, and how to persuade people. And I think all those people that you mentioned as well, Helen, they're the politicians we still remember and we still (laughs) talk about as great leaders as well. I don't think persuasion can necessarily be taught though. It's And if, if it can be, it can't be fully taught. It's almost like I remember meeting Paul Keating And there's something, and maybe this is for all of those leaders who have incredible persuasion, is that the energy, like you're either with them or you're against them, but they're going there anyway. And that's the leader that I want. You know, when people see those sorts of leaders out in the shopping centre, I know John Howard, people still go up to him in shopping centres. Like they've still got that following, which is just, it's really remarkable. But when you also look at all the leaders that you just mentioned, all of them did something that at the time was incredibly unpopular. Yes, And they took a huge risk to implement a solution that wasn't necessarily going to win them votes, um, but was going to solve a problem. So at the time, they might not necessarily have been that successful, but their legacy is outgrowing them. Yeah, Yeah, so so true. We need to also acknowledge that. Mm. Do you unpick... Oh, and have you given a lot of thought to the concept of being political? Because that's got a couple of different contexts to it. It's got being political is, okay, I vote green, I'm passionate about the environment, and that is the thing that I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I'm going to hand out how to vote cards for the Greens. 
But there's also that person who's just good at the office politics, you know, understands those connections and and is good at navigating through a problem by virtue of connections. Do you start at that point of just being political in terms of that building of connections and playing politics, if you like? I think being political means to me, what that means to me is actually just caring about something or caring about an issue and that starts there. Um, and that quote, the personal is a political, you know, if I care about um, women's rights but I'm not a member of a party and I've never had a conversation with any politician about it, I think that's that's being political. And it starts in your ideas or your values and then you can see the person playing the office politics or the card-carrying member or the person who wants to volunteer. But one is not better than the other. You know, being being a card-carrying member of a political party does not mean you're better than someone who cares about women's rights and might, you know, attend some rallies from time to time or speak to their friends and co-workers about issues they need to come on board with. I don't think one is better than the other in our society. I really love the quote, and I'm probably going to get this wrong, but it was uh, by... Um Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who said, I want to be remembered as a person who did the most I could with what I had at the time. And I think that that is such a great quote when it comes to being political, because uh, you can be political by not even being a member of a political party, by really just signing a petition, by offering to hold a stall and raising money for a female candidate, by, you know, helping um, at a local domestic violence shelter. Like, that is also being political without, you know, being a member of a political party. All right, so I've got an issue that I'm really passionate about. I am mid-career and I think I might want to run for politics and I come to you two. What is the first thing that you tell me? I've never, I don't know which political party, I don't know anything about politicians. What is the first thing that you would advise? And I'm I'm asking that you keep the audience in mind here who are idealistic young women with passions for equality and particularly gender equality and similar like issues. Well, Helen, we're very excited that you decided to run for politics. Um, Can't (laughs) wait to go door knocking on your behalf. Um, The first thing we would actually do would be to go and have a coffee with you, which we've done with quite a lot of women. Um, We run a signature program called Campaign School, which is run once a year. If we are not in a process of recruitment for Campaign School at the time, we'll just go and have a coffee with you and we'll ask you a little bit more questions about, yes, what are your values? What do you stand for? What does your life look like in the next five to 10 years? Where does your family come in? What do you do for your work? How much do you love doing that? Would you have to give up your work if you decide to run? And then based on that, we either give them the opportunity to uh, submit an application for campaign school or put them in a direct contact with someone within the political parties if we sort of do think that that would be the path that they need to go down on or in some instances, we even sort of said to them, actually, from what you just said to us, you're not interested in federal state politics. You are really passionate about your local area. You should run for council. So here is a wonderful organization here in Western Australia that you should talk about running for council. And we hope to see your application. So I think that starting with a good cup of uh, strong 
cappuccino for me, latte for Jess, um, is is what we would do first. Yeah, and right. I think, oh no, sorry, you go, Helen. No, I was going to be provocative and say, but what if I tell you I've had three husbands, I've got five children from various husbands, you know the tabloid media would hate mm. kind of a scandal, would love, hate a scandal of, you know, my private life. You know, there might have been something else. There might be pictures. Do you ask those questions like they do in the movies? Yeah. Well, I mean, we haven't asked those questions to be that explicit, but just thinking on that, what I would say is like, don't let that deter you from running, but that could be something that the media will pick up on and gravitate on. So if... Yep. if it depends on how open the candidate is or, you know, the, the soon-to-be candidate is with us as well. And I think the biggest thing for Martina and I is that we will always encourage someone to run but let them know that this will be a hard slog and we've got to be honest and upfront about that because you never want someone coming back to you saying, this was awful, how could you encourage me to do this? You never told me, you just gave me the rosy picture story on what it was like running for politics. Um that's going to be really important as well. So be encouraging, but being real with someone. And also asking that person, you know, is there a political party that you lean more towards? Because if there isn't, that's okay, because you can run as an independent. We're not trying to pigeonhole people, but we're trying to just get a sense over, you know, a coffee or an application of kind of where you land. But you've got to tell us that because we don't want to pigeonhole you or send you off. Or you could just meet with everyone and including independents, which is also fantastic. And one of the things we're not trying to do is not to supplement the job that the political parties are doing because yeah. they have a very thorough pre-selection process to uh, ensure that those types of questions that you mentioned are answered. So what we're really trying to do is to provide a link uh, to those who either are unsure or maybe just... Uh, need a little bit more of a support mm. uh, before they decide to do this. Sometimes we found that uh, talking to someone else about an idea actually kind of makes it real. And then you have uh, this support network that constantly encourages you and 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 kicks your butt. Interested to know what trends you're seeing on the horizon. So are you seeing any shifts in the sorts of public profiles of women? Can, can, are we ready for different shapes, sizes, colours, experiences of women. One thing that's been fantastic, and it's a trend that we've seen over ease, is just the incredible rise of independent women that are running in the next federal election. We have not necessarily seen that many of them here in Western Australia, but in, um, for example, the ACT, Kim Rubin's team is running, um, and we obviously saw what Zelly Stegall was able to do uh, three years ago over in New South Wales as well. So that is sort of a trend that is here to stay and is definitely following a global trend of women just... Um, not necessarily waiting for someone else to fix the problems that keep on arising over and over and over again, but really taking the matter into their own hands. When it comes to diversity, I think we still sort of see um, the same type of women running, which is sort of uh, most of the time white women, uh, fairly fairly privileged in sort of an Australian context. Um, and that is sort of something that still needs to change. We need women from diverse backgrounds. We need younger women and women with more mature 
perspectives as well. We need women um, from various ethnic backgrounds. Uh, we need women who are able-bodied, but also women who live with disabilities to make sure that the policies that the governments are creating are able to serve everyone in the society. And also women from diverse career backgrounds Absolutely. as well. Because um, there are a lot of lawyers in, in politics, I admit that's just me speaking broadly, and also people who have um, had a career in politics before they became a politician. But one thing I would love to see is that women who come from a range of different diverse career backgrounds, that would just be absolutely amazing and, and make our parliament a lot more colourful as well. I'm just going to um, say to you, as exciting as it is seeing women run, seeing them run as independents is also a fascinating trend. But it does mean that they don't end up in Cabinet where the real policy decisions are taken. How do you feel about that? And do you discuss that up front? I think, so yeah, how do I feel about women not having a seat at the table? It makes me angry. (laughs) <laughs> to, to be honest, um, because that's where decisions do get made. You're right, Helen. You know, the core decisions for our nation get made at a cabinet meeting, whether you like to say that or not, or whether people like to hear that. Um, and that's something we do talk about with the cohort as well. You know, when we look around ca- the national cabinet and also state cabinets across Australia, how many women are part of those cabinets? Um, that's something we talk about. But yeah, that's something that still needs to change. And essentially what you're doing is you're giving them marginal seats that they then have to run an incredible grassroots campaign and then they have to spend an inordinate amount of time maintaining that grassroots connection in order to continue to be elected into the parliament. And then they really only have the media as a source of communication with the broader public on issues of policy. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, but it strikes me as a phase before women actually go, I could just run for a major party and probably get myself a seat in Cabinet where I can really be annoying. Yes, and I think as well another thing that um, makes Martina and I angry is, is women having to run in unwinnable seats and having to work their guts out to get there and still prove themselves when they're elected, when they do get elected. Um, if we could have more women uh, being put up for pre-selection in safe seats, that would be absolutely amazing. And that would probably just change the way that women, um, I would say, are respected in, in Parliament as well. And also the voice that they're able to have, you know, in those larger decision-making bodies and also at Cabinet. Okay. So in summary, we've got an audience that is listening, sitting on the edge of their seats going, I want to run. Uh, I'm not quite sure I've got what it takes. What's your message to our audience today? So open up your laptop, go on Google and look for organisations in your state that encourage women to run for politics. Here in Western Australia, it's She Runs. In New South Wales and Victoria and um, Queensland is Not Too Young To, Pathways to Politics, Raise Our Voice, all these wonderful organizations that are encouraging diverse women to run. Send them an email straight away and ask a question. How do I run for politics? But the first step that you have to do is to actually reach out and get someone to hold you accountable. Because 
Our organization definitely will. We know all the other organizations around Australia that are working on this issue will too. So you just need to start somewhere. And also, it's going to be really uncomfortable, but do it anyway. And, you know, and I I say that, like, it took Martina probably the (laughs) best part of five years to even start She Runs because we thought to ourselves, oh, what would people think? Oh, do you think people will like it? All this, like, negative self-talk and just lacking confidence. Um, But you've got to break through that and you break through that by taking the first step and finding people who are going to support you and encourage you that will make all the difference in your political journey. But I would just say start now. Start scared. (laughs) Absolutely. And don't think that you're on your own because you're 100% not on your own when it comes to politics. There are people out there that want to support you, whether they are within the realm of political parties or just grassroots organizations, but there are 100% people who want to support you and other women who don't want to run, but are really passionate about greater participation of women in politics. So they will be there to support you. I've spent a lot of time around politicians and um, and no quite a few. And I'm always energized when I'm near them. And I see that uh, a successful political career is a big life. Like it's a big life. It is not taking life easily. You have to be thick skinned. You have to put yourself out there. But the rewards are pretty phenomenal because you do get to make decisions that directly impact on the people of this country, state, community. And I I do think what you're doing is brilliant work. And I'm also heartened by the concept of two young women in this space, because you are going to be at a front row seat of a completely different parliament, whatever parliament you're interested in, um, over the next 10 years. Well, thank you so much, Helen, for, first of all, calling us young. Um, we really, really appreciate that. <laughs> I'm taking it. Uh, I'm, I'm running with it. How uh, old are you two? You're not, I, you're, I, you are young. I thought I was turning 35 for like the last six months and realised I was turning 34. So I'm 34 now. Oh, so my yeah, God. You are, are def- you yeah. are both definitely <laughs> <are> young. young. <laughs> oh, gosh. I'm 34 for the next three months. Thank you very much. But, <laughs> Helen, I think one thing that is really exciting about this is that we get constantly contacted by women who are interested, if not running, then helping other women to run because they understand no one else is going to do it for them. And it's becoming one of those things where we we were sort of, you know, we all have full-time jobs and we are doing this on a side and we are getting to the point where we're like, wow, this is becoming bigger than us. But we wouldn't have it any other way. No, and I think one of the most... Um I think one of the most beautiful things that we've been able to experience running She Runs is being able to connect young women Mm. to to mentors or to people who are going to further or help further their career in politics because that's just like the start of their journey. So I guess Martina and I, if we could just help one person start out on that journey of getting into politics or whether they want to work in an EO or be a policy advisor or be a politician, that has just um, been one of our greatest joys as well, just seeing seeing women connect with other like-minded people and just see them just take off, really. I've got one final question for you both. Sorry, Martina, I'll start with you. Will you run? Can I look forward to a time where one or both of you is running? 
That is a really good question. And we get to ask that question quite often. <laughs> like, why don't you just run? Like, why do you encourage others to run? And we like to say that we first are going to encourage uh, and skill up all these incredible women to run. So when we get to state or federal politics, it's going to be more fun uh, because we're going to have all these friends out there that we're going to be able to um, you know, create policy with. That's so right. that's a yes. Is that a yes? <laughs> I think um, we like to practice what we preach. So I think for me, I come from a broader sort of campaigning advocacy background, and I am really passionate about that. So I definitely see myself supporting other women on their behalf. I definitely see myself as someone who is passionate about creating changes for women in um, Australia. If that means running for politics, sure. But at the moment, I think what seems to be a, a, a better place for me is to be in the background and to connect others, skill up and mentor other women. I would say never say never. <laughs> um, though what I am really passionate about and like Martina is to be able to help other women on their own political career right now um, and also make changes to policy. Um, so that's where I'm at at the moment. Never say never. That's a great answer. I look forward <laughs> to following both of your careers and your business. Thank you so much for joining the Future Women Leadership Series. It's um, been an absolute pleasure to meet you both. Thank you so much, Helen. Thank you for your time today. Thank you so much, Helen. We look forward to seeing your campaign. <laughs> the Future Women Leadership Series was presented by Helen McCabe, Executive Producer Jenny Goggin, Sound Production by Darcy Thompson. Thompson.